Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC Movie Rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. As the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Seven decades ago, the first television adaptation of Superman arrived. Now, it's time to rock it back to the 1952-1958 series Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves. In this rewatch podcast, my guests and I break down each episode, from its black-and-white crime drama beginnings to the kid-friendly color seasons, as we celebrate one of the most underrated Man of Steel depictions of all time. Welcome to another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Season 1, Episode 22, Czar of the Underworld, is returning guest Rich Roney. Welcome back. Thanks for letting me letting me join you. I'm, I'm looking forward to this discussion. You're back in studio, and you are officially the most frequent guest on another exciting episode. This is your third appearance. Third. You are yeah. number one in terms of number of appearances. Thank you. And you know I've got great love. I've got great love and affection for this TV series. Uh, I did go basically on, for all practical purposes, um, probably a 45-year hiatus in watching these things, but getting back has been super, super enjoyable. No, it's great. I always love getting your perspective, and I appreciate you going down this road again and revisiting Yeah, maybe them. a 50-year hiatus, you know, because I was like 10 and 11, 8, 9, 10, and then I... I You've pulled me back in, and I've derived great, I mean, great fun. I mean, I imagine that it, it is fascinating to go back and look at these with adult eyes when you originally experienced them as a kid, because, and I know I've used these examples before, but I've experienced the same sort of thing going back and looking at old Power Rangers episodes, which was huge for me when I was a kid. And honestly, even something like Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. I mean, I was a really little kid when that was first airing, and then I got more into it and also derived more from it when I caught reruns in syndication on TNT when I was in late elementary school. It's like I remember being in eighth grade and I remember watching uh, and that was that was the, the the viewing of it that really cemented it more in my head. 
But even still, when I've gone back and I've watched them now, you know, decades later, you know, you just view it in a different way. You appreciate it in a different way. You think back to that time when you were a kid. So, uh, so I'm sure it's, it's interesting. Totally. Totally. And I'm thrilled. Uh, I'm processing that you're coming right down to the end of season one. Uh, yeah. Uh, I know I always get confused because the mole men was the feature, but then they kind of re-edited it to be the last two. So for all practical purposes, we're down to the final three original. So next up in two weeks, we'll have Ghost Wolf, comic book artist V. Ken Marion, who previously joined me for The Secret of Superman. He'll be back. And then episode 24, Crime Wave. I'll be joined by Lou Coza, who is a... Adventures of Superman and George Reeves historian. So I think it'll be really fascinating to get his perspective. Like yourself, he grew up watching it. So I'm excited to talk to him. And then Voices from Krypton author Ed Gross will be here to help me break down Superman and the Moment, aka The Unknown People, parts one and two. This was a little bit of a debate I had when I first started out doing this. Do I start with Superman and the Moment or do I save it for the end, the way that it's presented on the DVDs, for example, right, as the two-part season finale? And ultimately, obviously, that's what I opted for because I thought it would have a nice kind of full circle feel here, right? We could have very easily started with it. It was made first, but I kind of liked starting with Superman on Earth and then ending here and kind of tying it all together. So that's what's coming up over the next month and a half. Okay, okay, and... I'm, am I the first person to do three? You are. Okay. Now, I, again, I want to let you know and your listeners, uh, I hope this discussion has the wallop of a Tommy gun, <laughs> which is, folks, is a line, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm plagiarizing what Inspector Henderson said at one point in the thing when he was talking to the bad guy. So uh, I hope that energy comes forth. In this discussion. Yes. Rich Rich has said that line. I think probably this is the third time yes, since it he is. got here today. Yes, but I was is. like, save it for the show. <laughs> but I do want to ask. So I'm your third. In the episodes you've seen so far, how many times has a men's silk dressing gown been worn uh, <laughs> by by one of the actors? Yeah. Is it just that one or was there one was there one more? This one. Oh. Danelli. Oh, that's right. I was thinking only of Clark. You're right. So I guess that was just a thing. But what did he have under it? Under it? Oh, he had a uh, tie yeah. uh, and uh, uh, slacks to a suit. Okay. But he he had a you know a white shirt and a tie. Uh, now, only because I, I I googled this just to re read about this. Uh, men's silk dressing gowns go back to the 1700s. Right, but then early in America, I mean, like uh, say say uh, around World War One, they were a, a symbol of status and wealth and luxury, and they also said that men wore these things uh, because suits were more heavier, thicker, more cons- constrictive, so they'd wear these at home to relax a little bit. Right. All that being said, to your listeners. We analyzed an episode, No Holds Barred, where Clark came out, and you and I were both scratching our head. Like, what is going on, right? That poor guy has this big closet that burglars find that has one Superman suit, one business suit, and one silk dressing gown. That's it. Yeah. So when I saw the silk dressing gown worn by Danelli, the bad guy, 
I had to research it. I thought you were going to bring that up. But Dinelli, even when Superman flies him at the end or the mannequin, he's got that silk dressing gown on. No, I'm glad you caught that. I was not, I didn't clock that specifically there. I guess my focus was elsewhere in this episode. There's a lot going on, but thank you. I'm glad that you, that you did. And I appreciate the research and yeah, I mean, we'll just chalk it up to uh, a sign of the times. The, the silk robe in and of itself, I'm totally on board with. It's, it's really just the dress clothes underneath. That's the thing that I, I, I bump up against, but listen, if, if it works for you, it's all good. So let's run down the, uh, the specs of this episode. So this, as we said, season one, episode 22, February 13th, 1953, written by Eugene Solo, directed by Tommy Carr. Our synopsis, Clark and Henderson head to Hollywood to consult on the motion picture Czar of the Underworld, a crime expose based on Clark's series of articles about mob boss Luigi Dinelli, who is determined to put a stop to the movie's production by any means necessary. This was a standout episode. How did you feel? I enjoyed it very much. I enjoyed it. It, To me, it um, encapsulated all the B-movie tropes and themes. And I mean, it, um, it was fast-paced, full of action. It was a 22-minute B-movie serial. But it also had the stuff that I love. I mean, like you said in the synopsis, this showcases Clark's uh, investigative reporting. It's all predicated on that. I wish they would have spent a little bit more time. Um, and I, I, I want to let you pilot this, but I'm ambivalent on this, right? Uh, at the very, very, very outset, they speak about, hey, they have to go out, and Henderson and Clark go to Hollywood because of these crime exposés. The articles Clark wrote are the basis of the movie but here's what i don't understand i mean and you're you're an attorney right <laughs> i mean one if this guy's really this bad a guy right where are the prosecutors where are the where's the arm of the legal system going after him or what are the attorneys for the daily planet doing if they're making a movie out of this now we know it's clark so we know he's going to be solid on his facts but wouldn't they kind of be concerned about like lawsuits or uh, so that was a little bit of a plot hole. They jumped pretty quickly. And if Clark's in Metropolis and they had to take three planes to get out there, why is he doing an expose for people outside Los Angeles? Right. Dinelli lives there. So I, I'm trying to put it all. But again, you know how I love Clark. I, I the episodes where they showcase his abilities, like the whole thing with uh, Double Trouble and his his best friend, Colonel Redding, in Army Intelligence. Well, that spoke to a subconscious like, hey, Clark's got a connection to Army Intelligence. Um, his knowledge of the sports motor, Sam, I can't remember his name. So I've always liked the stories that showcase Clark's abilities and capabilities as Clark, not where he's... Um, um, you know, the subject of disdain from Lois, or not where his whole thing is, hey, I got to fix my shoelace, you run ahead, and then I'll go sneak and change to Superman. So the fact that these this movie is based on his investigative reporting, I found very appealing. I echo that totally. I really, really love the setup for this. Like you said, that Clark has accomplished something as a reporter, and that's the jumping off point. I, I did question exactly what you did, where... I mean, look, my my understanding of the movie is that it's not a documentary that they're making. It's a 
you know, a, a fictionalized dramatization of of Clark's articles. I mean, pr- presumably true to life, but that they're making a movie about about this guy based on the information that that Clark had reported on. But yeah, I kept coming back to this idea of well, how effective were the articles if this guy is still running around free? There was nothing about oh, he just got out or he's pending trial or anything like that. So it really felt like we're so happy for Clark, but <laughs> I guess it depends how you look at it. I mean, it's it's magnificent that his work is being celebrated and being adapted. But if the ultimate objective is <laughs> getting this guy off the streets, we eventually get there by the end. But yeah, I, I did I did go back to that. It feels like we sort of <laughs> yeah, missed the I, mark a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I I did wonder about that, like, and it's, the fact that Henderson's going with him, right? So there's a degree of law enforcement. Um, having given input. So, yeah, I was wondering, like, well, he didn't, you know, when he was in his uh, apartment in Hollywood or Los Angeles in his silk dressing gown, he didn't look, you know, don't worry, they're going to take care of you. They're closer than you think, right? Um, yeah, I did wonder about the the legalities. Where Where's law enforcement? I also wondered, like, well, wait, isn't Metrop- is Metropolis Chicago? Uh, isn't this a long way away? Shouldn't he worry about his own hometown? Yeah, I mean, I wonder, and I don't recall offhand if there was any line in this that accounted for it, but again, maybe he had been based out of Metropolis when Clark wrote the articles or is bi-coastal. That, that aspect of it I was okay with. But yeah, it was more just this idea of... <laughs> These highly effective articles, yet this guy's that still out there. But presumably, maybe there's an ongoing investigation. Maybe something's pending, and we just didn't get in the weeds on that. But maybe there was more going on in the background. But again, I, I love, I love that we see Clark's prowess as a reporter. Again, it's it happened before the episode. I, I you know always love to see more. But look, we get so much of him in 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 uh, in reporter mode, so I can't complain. But and yeah, one other thing too expand on that i don't know which episode this was but i do know it was in season one where one of the the underlings or the bad guys or the boss goes uh hey it's not superman you got to worry about it's kent kent's the problem right so i always you know that in in this series uh i love this portrayal this rendition of clark And I love what George Reeves does. I mean, he embodies the best Clark to me. Very decisive, purposeful. I mean, uh, moves with urgency and purpose. Uh, Yeah, he's not he's not uh, touchy feely uh, emo. He's yeah. And and the other thing, I'll I'll jump back to it later. But uh, I love this. Showcases his boxing prowess. Uh, We got to see him give a couple of uh, you know uh, solid right punches, right hooks. Uh, yeah, as, uh, as our previous guest, Zach Moore teased me for using this phrase, but it is true. He engaged in fisticuffs in this episode and it was tremendous. Yeah. There was so much about this and I really liked, I really love George Reeves in this episode. I, I love him all the time. His performance is such a highlight of, of this entire experience, but I felt like this episode in particular, the Clark Clark had this swagger about him right from the jump when he's talking to Dinelli on the phone and he's like so pleased with himself. It's Dinelli. <laughs> yeah, I, it uh, I, it was just it was really really uh, engaging to watch. I, I enjoyed his performance in this and there's there's a lot of great bits from both from him as both Clark and Superman. 
And you mentioned Henderson. I thought this was a great two-hander for, for them in this episode. And I've joked about this in previous in previous discussions where sometimes it feels like Clark, Perry as well, but you could say this with respect to Perry and anyone. <laughs> like Sometimes it feels like Clark doesn't have a ton of respect for Henderson and the way he kind of, uh, you know, bosses him around or the riddle of the Chinese Jade in particular. That was one where it seemed like there was a little bit more friction between the two of them in terms of how Henderson was handling the investigation. Again, I'm not saying they're at each other's throats, but it's just even another episode uh, that just comes to mind where, where Clark's, hey, Henderson, and just kind of grabs him. Again, nothing egregious, but it, uh, again, just didn't necessarily always seem like such a a buddy-buddy type thing. So I, I enjoyed seeing the two of them here, and it felt to me at least like they were kind of on, on equal footing as they were making their way through this episode. So I okay. enjoyed the dynamic between the two of them here. Not that I've disliked it in the other episodes. Uh, and look, I have taken Henderson to task. I don't know that he's necessarily the best at his job <laughs> in a lot of instances, but uh, I just, I liked, I liked Henderson on his own here. And I liked the interplay with him and Clark and Superman in this episode. I thought it was a really good showcase for, for those relationships. I agree. I agree. I have not, I've I've cherry picked the episodes I've watched, so I I haven't been as methodical as you. Um, but the the some of the episodes I liked again was that uh, that double trouble episode where I thought it was interesting how Clark and Henderson compared notes. Right, um, I like it when they I I haven't seen the things where Clark has been perhaps disdainful. I haven't seen that. Um, I do know I caught a few moments of that that wax museum one, and it was interesting. They were out in the docks, and Clark and Henderson were like looking down, and Clark was explaining, and Henderson teamed track with all that. So I haven't seen the uh, the goofball, or I haven't seen things where that that's not the right word, but where Clark is dismissive or disdainful. Yeah, and again, it's not like oh, he's outwardly hostile or anything like that. But again, just kind of some, some a little bit of that flavor. And again, I think Riddle of the Chinese Jade in particular was a good one where it really felt like you saw more more friction. I'll um, watch. I'll look. Uh, I'll I'll watch that. Uh, yeah, I've only know. cherry picked. I've only cherry picked. Gotcha. At least that's been my read on it. You know, you might you might have a different interpretation as you, as you watch it. But uh, yeah, I, I so I enjoy that aspect of it and. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this, and then we'll go kind of through our, our scene by scene uh, breakdown. But the only, there was only one scene in this entire episode that I felt, why is this here? Perry? Yeah, the Perry scene. <laughs> I thought about that, and I've got some notes on that. What I noticed, if I may, there was absolutely no Lois, we no Lois whatsoever. Jimmy was in only for one tiny, tiny brief scene. Very a, a brief. And then my favorite, the sixth man, Stephen Carr. I mean, uh, and to the, I'm going to take a minute on this for the benefit of your listeners. I look at this TV show, right? You've got George Reeves. You've got Lois, Jimmy, Perry, Henderson. And then the guy who's been in the most episodes all throughout season one is Stephen Carr, Hadley, you know? And once again, he's 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 the uh, guy that comes off the bench. He's the sixth man. As Mr. Carr in this episode. Yes, yes. And I think this is the, the final appearance he ever makes in the series. Oh, oh that's a shame. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye out for the last couple. Well, at least yeah, he wasn't the movie star in this one. Yeah, yes. 
I know. Well, so, you know, on that note, uh, again, just as far as big picture takeaways, so we do have a scene that we'll get to where one of the actors in the movie is is killed. There's a gun and and the assumption is that it's a it's a blank uh, in it, but someone had actually put a real bullet in. I mean, it was crazy to watch that after recent real world events with the Alec Baldwin uh, shooting on that rust movie so it was kind of crazy to again i mean you know that happens but uh to have to have seen a, again such a very recent high profile example of something like that and then to see it uh, on the show i mean again this was obviously purposeful and and was a murder as opposed to you know the again everything that went on on, on the set of that movie but i uh, couldn't help but think of that same same here same here yeah. i took a page from your book i watched this episode twice uh uh and i know your desire is to go through this kind of uh, as it was portrayed on the screen. One thing I'm going to, I'm going to say fast and then I'll throw the ball back to you in your prior episode with uh bet a million Butler, right? They're certainly getting a lot of play out of the windows in the, the daily planet. Yeah. I mean, I saw great similarities between a police officer, uh, you know, uh, delaying what the bad guys want to do, um, both in the prior episode and then in this episode when Henderson goes, okay, I'll give you the phone, and then he just obscures. Yes, I know, that's true. That is, uh, that's a good catch, definitely. So real quick, just a guest star rundown. So we mentioned Tommy Carr as Mr. Carr, and then there Stephen were- Carr. Uh, sorry, Stephen Carr, good catch. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, our two main guest stars, Tony Caruso as Luigi Dinelli, John Maxwell as the studio police chief. So, okay, we'll get to this in the episode, but as as we learn, as the episode unfolds, Luigi has this brother, Frank, who had been in prison and then sort of fell off the face of the earth and no one knew what happened to him. And the twist that we get here is that the studio police chief who has been investigating is actually the brother. Now... I think you and I both, when we when we watched this a couple of years ago, missed the studio part. I did too. The second time I watched, I thought he was a police chief in Los Angeles. As did I, and that was one of the things. And we, we talked, we did a, we did two episodes on my other podcast, Digging for Kryptonite, all about you know the the really the entirety of the Adventures of Superman series. And again, it was so enjoyable. That's why I wanted to do this podcast and go episode by episode. But I feel like if you go back and listen to that episode, we probably joked about how on earth could this guy end up becoming chief of police in Hollywood? He wasn't. But <laughs> it, it was really only, if I may, reading IMDB and and seeing one of the synopsis statements. When I watched this the first time, I thought he was a police official for Los Angeles. Um, I do want to go through this yeah. sequentially, but I, I want to come back to that uh, later. Uh, at that one point, when uh, the studio police chief or the studio security chief is in that trailer with Clark. I'll, I'll... Yeah, I, and that's the thing too. And, and audience, I'd welcome your input on this as well because I agree. I finished this episode still under that same impression that you and I had a couple of years ago. And to your point, it really was in looking at IMDb and a couple of other articles or reviews about the episode where the the studio police chief was specified. So, I, you know, I'm still not a thousand percent sure. It definitely makes far more sense if he's <laughs> the 
the, the studio, you know, studio security as opposed to actual police chief. But to go a heartbeat further, right? Luigi Danelli, who must be some big bad because Clark did all these crime exposés on this guy. Again, like we said, like five minutes ago, Dinelli, Luigi Dinelli is now in Los Angeles. Now, is Clark doing stories on Los Angeles crime and corruption? Or did this is, a, is this guy a transplanted guy from Metropolis? But then what are the odds that the secret brother of the crime boss becomes a security chief in the very studio making a, bit, a movie about I mean, this this is B movies like, hey, we've only got eight actors. <laughs> we we can't get into plot too much. Yeah, I know that is that is tough to reconcile. I guess I'll say this, regardless of either way, his his brother again has taken on this new identity and has achieved a position of of authority and of you know of respect. credibility, respect, right? Regardless of exactly what his job is or what level of prominence the same basic idea is there so we'll, we'll go with it but yeah let's go scene by scene through czar of the underworld filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals brightside tavern in jersey city hang on to your shorts in asbury park point lookout on long island and in the cut in bloomfield new jersey on a personal note my short film by spoon the jay Mizell story played at these fests so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store, Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Oh Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw, yeah. So we start with the scene that you and I have joked about a lot, where we have Henderson and Clark in Clark's office at the Daily Planet. We've got two guys across the street. And we, we quickly glean what the setup is. Danelli is going to call, get Clark on the phone, get him in position so that these guys can shoot him and take him out through the window. And as you said... Uh, Henderson kind of gums up the works by standing in their direct line of sight. And, and again, you get a lot of, like we said before, that, that's, that swagger that Clark has as he's talking to Donnelly. Oh. And, and, and again, we get a lot of helpful information here, uh, about again, all that setup that we talked about, about these articles and the movie that's being made. And, and I guess most, most critically here is that we're, we're kind of on the clock because Clark and Henderson have to go catch their, 
their plane to Los Angeles. Uh, do you want to take it from here? Uh, yeah, as you said, they do some nice setup. And it is fun. I mean, the second time I watched it, I love it when Clark picks up the phone. He is so happy, right? And he's almost like, uh, come on, give me your best shot, Danelli. You know, he's smiling. Uh, well, we're coming out to Hollywood. <laughs> we're going to help with the uh, the production. So they got five minutes to get out of uh, uh, Clark's office. Uh, they must have had different luggage in those days than I'm accustomed to because they, they, they had like two briefcases. But uh, uh, Clark goes to Henderson, hey, what time do we have to leave? We got five minutes. I'll be ready in four, right? Um, and then, as you said, they've got a sniper and a guy with binoculars across the street uh, ready to uh, basically assassinate Clark. Um, what I found, uh, and, and you stop me if I'm going too fast, but what I found so fascinating, what I noticed the second time I watched this, um, when after the, the gun jams and they fix it, and Tonelli must be wearing, what are those guys doing? Finally, the lamp falls over, and then you hear the gunshot, right? So the special effects were a little out of sync. The lamp neck on Clark's desk appears to be hit, falls over, then you hear the gunshot after the fact. And um, the thing I loved, quite frankly, was Henderson get his, his, gets his gun out, and then Clark goes, no, come on, we got to make the plane. And they just rushed right out. He didn't even close the file cabinet drawer. Henderson didn't even put his gun away. They had to run out so fast. Yeah, that's the part about it that's so funny. It's just like there's been this assassination attempt on Clark's life. There's been this. And, and the police inspector that, that you know. Yeah. And no, I, we'll and get I, it later. <laughs> we'll, well, yeah, I know. The fact that they leave. And again, the episode has to keep moving forward. It's fine. But it's just so funny to me. It's like this is. This is a pretty extreme situation to just be like, ah, oh, well, we got to go. <laughs> yeah, we got to make that plane. <laughs> so that was uh, that was that was humorous, but a great a great kickoff, I think, to this episode because you see, you know, you see the stakes, right? You see that uh, you know Danelli is committed to putting a stop to the production of this movie, and you know we'll we'll do anything it takes to make that happen to stop Clark to stop the movie. So. Uh, I think that that very quickly establishes the tension as we're moving forward here. We got some stock footage of, of, of planes and airports and all that. And we see that the driver of the car that's been sent by National Studios to pick them up, he gets taken out by uh, the, the two bad guys. Paul Fix. Uh, yes. And then, yeah, I hadn't listed him in the, our, our guest star breakdown, so thank you. And... Uh, so they lead Henderson and Clark out uh, to the car. As you mentioned, yeah, they've got seemingly very minimal luggage, a couple of briefcase, briefcases, briefcase-looking items. But again, it's like, well, 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 how much do they have? They're wearing their suit, and they've got their silk and robe. That's all they need. And a frankly, Superman costume. For the entire, <laughs> for the entire series, Clark and Henderson had the same suits. Yeah. Uh, what I found is a credit to the production right just crank these things out what i thought was funny is they show the exterior of i think like ontario airport or long beach airport in southern california the bad guy takes over the car that the studio sent but what i thought was so hilarious is when they walk through this 
dump of a warehouse. And Clark goes, so this is Hollywood. And all you see is this, <laughs> like, dirty warehouse wall. It was the same set as the thing for Double Trouble with the uh, the uh, the ship, the ocean liner coming in, right? But So this is Hollywood. And it, it like, Jesus, what a credit to his acting ability. Yeah, you got to sell it. And quite frankly, they couldn't do any exterior shots because they always used the Los Angeles City Hall as the Daily Planet building. So it would have confused some poor nine-year-old kid to go, hey, we're in Los Angeles. They got the same building as the Daily Planet. Yeah, I know. They would have given it away. I love when Henderson and Clark are in the car and Henderson's like, I hope I meet some movie stars. And Clark's like, I just want five minutes with Danelli. <laughs> and it's great. And it's it's that quintessential 50s George Reeves Clark that we're, oh. we're always lauding. And it's great. And you you buy it. And it's like, yeah, I don't want to mess with this Clark. But I love that. I just love that moment. Oh, and in the episode you're going to see next, right? There's another tough version. I'll say this, um, that Ghost Wolf, is yeah. that what it is? Well, there's... Uh, I vaguely remember they're riding up on the train, right? And Lois says, he seems like a nice guy. And I wouldn't be too sure, you know. We'll have to find out. Well, what if he doesn't tell us? We'll take it out of him the hard way. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make him talk the hard way, you know. So, Clark. It's great. It's just, um, you know, again, as, as we've been saying all season, it's just a different flavor of Clark. It is very much a departure from what we've gotten in the in the years since and there's something that's very refreshing about seeing this kind of clark so i'm i'm here for it as i've been saying in all of these episodes so next the the you know fake driver brings them to this garage and and locks them in and and uh is going to serve them up to to nelly and you may mention double trouble and i i thought of double trouble because same yeah, Clark needs stay perfectly quiet. still. <laughs> yeah, so it's dark, just like when he was locked in that in that safe or that vault uh, in Germany in Double Trouble. No one move. Yeah, he needs, and there was a specific amount of time in that episode. Thirty too. seconds. Yeah, yeah, and same thing here. So he's in the in the back of the car in the dark with Henderson, and he's just like, be, I need total silence. Like, be quiet. And then, of course, we see he has freed himself and quickly changes into Superman. And I love how he bonks their heads twice. I thought that was amazing where he bonks their heads together and then he looks and he sees that like their eyes are still kind of open and he gives them <laughs> another one. Ah, oh, so good. But the thing with the silence is I guess in the, in the double trouble episode, he was cracked. Wait, see, re- refresh my memory in when they were in the safe, did he just like push it open or did he actually, was he using his hearing and he cracked the, I code? thought it was all strength. So, Okay, so then that makes it even odder to me that he needs total silence. Like, wouldn't you think if you were trying to slip out and change into you'd another person, some you'd be camouflage? Like, or... Yeah, you'd be like, scream for help, <laughs> get out, right? I yeah, yeah. In in each of those things, I don't think he used in double trouble. I thought it was all strength. He just yeah. kind of like turned it in such a way that the tumblers hit a certain thing, and he pushed the muscled it open. Yeah, here. He was like a ninja, right? Kent, where are you going? Next thing you see is him pop up in the back of their car and knock their heads together. You got to admire the commitment. Like, I mean, I guess from a 
production standpoint. It's like they want to show you him, show show him as Superman. But right. it's like that was a that was two quick changes for <laughs> for for really nothing, right? Because he just came up on them from behind and could have just done that. I agree. I thought I, I thought about that for a, an eight year old child or a t- they they want to see Superman exactly. It would not have worked. You and I, from an expediency standpoint, well, look, nobody's going to see you. <laughs> have Clark bang their heads together. And then we get, you know, one of the other big picture things about this episode that I love, there there are some really great moments of discussion about Clark potentially being Superman or him oh. slipping up. There are a few like really, really, really uh, key moments here. And, and the first one uh, occurs here where Henderson and Clark have this discussion. And Clark says it's a... Like Superman trick. taught him a trick. Yeah, it's one of the tricks Superman taught. And then Henderson you know, Kent, says, yeah, no, you know, go for Kent, it. Sometimes I think you are Superman. And I forget what Clark says after that. As he leaves Henderson, Clark becomes the chauffeur, right? Yeah. He hops in the front seat. and But, but yeah, as I remember, after the, uh, the decoy bad guy left him in there for... And I still I didn't understand... Was he just going to leave him locked in there for Dinelli to come down and shoot him? I assume That's what I'm so. assuming. Um, Clark uh, breaks the chain, opens the big door, walks in, and Henderson goes, how did you do that? Oh, it's, it's, it's a trick Superman taught me, right? You know, Kent, sometimes I think you are Superman. And there's a couple of more slip-ups. Oh, yeah, we'll get, we'll yeah, get to those. Yeah, I, yeah. I forget exactly what Clark says in response, but I think he says something like, I think I'd have to be to something, something like that. I forget, yeah. I forget offhand, but yeah, it's, it's the first of those moments, but it's, again, regardless of the, the exact line, it just kind of speaks to this overall strategy that Clark employs in this series with respect to the secret identity that I, like, I just, I love, like, because I guess we've seen, look, I spent, you know, 10 years watching Smallville, where even though it wasn't a dual identity, he had this whole secret, massive secret, and always coming up with excuses. Lois and Clark, for those first couple of seasons before Lois learned the secret, it was a lot of, oh, I have a dentist appointment that I forgot about, I gotta run off. Like, all of these excuses, but I love how this Clark just, like, just leans into it, and it's almost like daring the person, and again, I know we've talked about this a lot, but just the psychological effect where, again, depending how you look at it, I, I still think there's some credibility to the theory that like everybody knows and this is kind of uh, like they're tacit, cool about it tacit yeah but even if but like for argument's sake like let's say they don't know and i, I think ultimately what the show is saying is that they don't know it, there is something where it's like you dare the person to be like yeah like call me out say i'm superman it's like it it works like it weirdly works he does it a few other times like uh was it superman on earth when he rescues the guy that fell out of the dirigible or something like that you know and at the end lois goes Something he goes, well, maybe I am Superman, Lois. And then he gives, you know, that wink to the camera. There's a few times where he brazenly uh, almost, you know, dares them. He leans into it. That's a perfect, perfect words. Yeah, it's great. I love it. Uh, So then we get this montage of Dinelli's goons uh, impeding the production of this movie. They're attacking people. They're they're, they're sabotaging offices. Lighting the, uh, the film, burning the film. And then this culminates with the scene that we were that we were discussing earlier, where the lead actor on the film is shot with what's supposed to be a, a, a blank and uh, is actually a real bullet, and and he dies. And then this launches the the larger investigation. But like I said before, just you know, again, a lot of shades of very recent real world uh, scenario. Yes. Yes. And then this takes us to 
again, the o- really the only scene in this episode, I'm really debating, Rich, because, you know, at the end of this, we'll give our rating, our fedora rating out of five. And I really, I want to give this one a five, but I feel like, like I might have to ding oh, it for I, this. For, because of Perry. I might have to ding it half a fedora be- for this be- Perry scene. This was so, this felt so tacked on where... Jim has come it in. It felt like filler. Yeah, like Jim's come in. They've gotten word from one of the press wire services. The knock. Go yeah, for it. the knock. Yeah, yeah. You, I, I telegraphed that. Go right. for it. Well, it, it, again, this is another goof. Like the whole thing with, boom, the light falls down. Then you hear bang, right? And something hit the light, knocked it off the desk. Then you hear the shot. On this one, you hear a knock on the door. Perry goes, come in. Jimmy walks in, and then Terry or Perry rips his head off. <laughs> How many times did I tell you not to come in here without knocking, right? Well, Jimmy did knock, but Jimmy's only in for a microsecond. Yeah, he's there real quick just to deliver this news about the murder on the set of the movie. And uh, yeah, the, the whole knocking business is funny. I mean, I wish it would have been great if if Jack Larson had been in the moment and been like, but chief, I did. And he's like, you know, like if they had kind of played, cause you can chalk it up to Perry just being Perry and being gruff and not even like the knock didn't even register. I spoke about the tropes and they really play into Perry as the cranky old curmudgeon. Yes. Right. Who's just cranky. I wonder, and I really thought this was filler of some type because it went on too long. I don't know if they didn't have anything for Lois yeah. Well, just real quick with Perry. So a few, couple episodes ago, we covered the Evil Three, and that was one I got. His, I mean, I talked about it in that episode, but it was really nice to see a little bit of a different side of to, to Perry, especially when uh, Jim is real freaked out, and and um, you know, and Perry's kind of trying to like calm him down a little bit. And uh, again, you just got to see a, a little bit more of that paternal side. You got to see a few different sides of Perry in that episode. So that you know, a little bit goes a long way, I think, because otherwise, if it's just gruff and that's it then it becomes one note so in fairness to the show i feel like we have seen some other sides but yeah in this in this scene uh it's just typical gruff perry and so he gets henderson on the line at the at the movie studio and is just barking at henderson about why clark didn't call and report this in why perry had to learn about this news and from one of the wire services despite the fact that his own reporter is there on the scene yeah uh Perry got a little too sarcastic, like, why would anyone tell me? You know, I'm only the editor of the paper. My my star reporter's out there. We could have had a, you know, a solo story. Uh, yeah, Perry leaned into it a lot and overplayed it. And uh, it. I think it just ran too long. It was like they had to fill a minute or something. It, it definitely felt that way. And it for, for all we know, maybe it was the episode just came in short and they were like, we need something. And that was something quick that they could add. I, I can appreciate that. That's fine. It doesn't ruin the episode. It was just that it just felt, it just felt so tacked on. And, and I agree. It went on too long, especially it got to a point where Perry was really just saying the same thing just over and over, like a few too many times. And it's like, okay, we're kind of going around in circles here. The other thing is that this would have been more impactful if Clark had been on the other line and you could have at least gotten to see Clark's reaction and we could probably guess what it would have been and if Clark had been the one to hang up on him or something like that. Like, he's barking all of this at Henderson. Henderson's really got nothing to do with the Daily Planet side of it, so that doesn't really go anywhere. And then here's the thing. And look, when we talk about it, like, this is what we're here for. We analyze it. We we share what we what we think would have been interesting, whatever. Uh, if this scene doesn't bug you, great. 
But the thing with that, that I just keep coming back to is that if there had been any kind of payoff to it, see, like at the very end of this episode, if Superman had said something like, oh, Clark's got the, you know, Clark's gonna get the scoop on this story, or if Clark showed up at the end and was like, you know, Perry's gonna let, you know what I mean? Like some kind of payoff to this. You don't I, get anything. I agree. And we'll get to it later, but the absolute end did seem very abrupt. That's the thing. Like they could have very easily, because I, I know we're, we're you know, kind of making making excuses for the scene. It's like, oh, they needed to fill, but it's like there was another they instance. They could have shortened this scene. Yep. And then at the very end, had Clark go, hey, I got to type this up. I got to get it on the teletype to get it back to Metropolis. Um, but Because at the absolute end, it seemed very abrupt when Superman gives his stern uh, commentary. Yeah. Um, so look, it's fine. I mean, look, on the other hand, at least we get to see two of our other cast members and in a lowest less episode, at least we get to check in with the Daily Planet. But yeah, that scene just felt out of place. But I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, belabor the point here. So after this, we have Clark and Henderson and the chief and, uh, and Mr. Carr and the director too, right? I thought it was the studio president who, maybe you know, they all came to, and help me, was it Alan Decker or Alan Dexter was yeah, the murder star? Yep. Well, somehow he had some sort of uh, a van. High te- well, he's a trailer, right? Trailer. Was, trailer. But, but it, it seemed to be, uh, you know, he had all the Modern, latest amenities. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. He had it like refurbished, running water, electricity. He had it really spiffed up. And I guess it was a forerunner to the sort of things you'd see trailers on television uh, shows. Um, but Clark deliberately volunteers to sleep in there. To sleep in a dead man's trailer yeah. the night after the man is murdered. Right, right, right. Now, I'm going to do an interjection here. I got to tell you, I think Henderson likes to live on the expense account, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> because there, here, this guy just got shot a couple of hours ago, Right. And Clark goes into the trailer to kind kind of get organized for the evening, and and Henderson goes to the security police or the hey want to go grab a beer. <laughs> he didn't seem too worried about that murder. No, not so much. Well, I'll look for Henderson. I guess hey, he it's not his jurisdiction. Yeah, I mean, you know that I like the aspect of this from the start. I think from for both of them when they first arrive and the chauffeur, you know, the fake chauffeur, but they don't know that you know is there to escort them out, and they go to the car. I mean, it's. You know, it's a different type of experience. I mean, like, I, I was funny because I was thinking about this. But you and I have both done a lot of traveling, you far more than me. But, you know, we've traveled for work and it's like you have your expense account and it's like nothing. I've never used it for anything extravagant. But even just getting a car service or, you know, we'll talk about room service <laughs> later with Henderson. But, you know, it's a little, you know, it's a, you know, a kind of a nice and something nice to, to indulge in a little bit when, when you can, whether it's for work or otherwise. So for Clark and Henderson, but then definitely, especially Henderson to sort of be basking. Hey, in, let's go to the Mark Stevens. I got a suite. Yeah. Yeah. It rang true, but yes, I agree. It's a little bit like, hey, you know, read the room. There was just been a murder. Yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> like the studio president is like, what's with these guys? One guy wants to sleep in his trailer and the other one is like talking about his hotel. Like they're really. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a, I love Clark's line where he's like, well, you're welcome to keep me company, Inspector Henderson. Yeah. And I don't know how that would fly today, right? This was like some of the stuff in earlier episodes or the commercials, like, oh. It's okay for for Jimmy to wake up with Clark and have cereal, but 
you can't have Lois doing it, right? And I did, I did pick up on that, like, well, you're welcome to stay with me tonight if you want. Not me, pal. I got a suite at the Mark Stevens. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I think after this, there's a quick scene of Danelli kind of putting out the hit on Clark. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. One of, the, I, I forget how, um, I guess, Paul Fix, the, the phony driver, kind of goes, hey, uh, the star was hit, but Ken's going to stay in his trailer tonight. And then he goes, yeah, hey, call Frank and tell him he's, he's got a job tonight, right? But I don't know how the guy that got his head smashed together got out so quickly, nor how he learned that, that unless, unless Frank called him and said, here, here's what's going on. Yeah, that that's I that's a little nebulous, but I I don't know. I assume he's got multiple people that he pays off on that studio set who like feed him information or something like that. I I can uh, I can go along with that. And then later we have Clark and the the chief in the in the trailer talking about the, this brother who again we'll later learn is the chief himself. But at this at this point in time, this was also this was I felt like this information came out of nowhere, right? Had they mentioned anything about a brother earlier? No. no, it surprised me because even as they were going through that folder that the chief brought in, Clark said something like, hey, I'm not worried about Luigi. It's his brother who vanished like X number of years ago. He's the one. And then the chief goes through this story like, well, he probably, did he say like he was at- <laughs> That's too specific. He was yeah, like, he was well, at Sing Sing. And yeah, then, he probably got out and then he got a facelift <laughs> and he changed his name. <laughs> Plastic surgery and started a new life. <laughs> but to go a step further, I want to let I want to let that breathe. Yeah. So, but what happened to Clark's super hearing when they're in the trailer? They did start portraying. Maybe it was a red herring to take us in a different direction. But the security chief was super cooperative. Right, very cooperative, very open. He hears something outside. What the freak was? Where's Clark super hearing? The the security guy writes, "Hey, someone's outside. Keep talking." Right. I, it just baffled me that the security guy has better hearing than Clark. That baffled me. I mean, not to get too you know uh, nerdy or fanboyish about this, but I mean, I guess it's funny talking about a current Superman television show, Superman and Lois, they they talked a, a good bit about how the super hearing works. Because in that show, he has a son with powers and, and you know, Clark is teaching him how to use it. And, you know, very early on, this came up and Clark talked about how he trained himself. So it's like, it's not that he hears everything all the time, but he's sort of attuned to kind of like disturbances in the normal wavelength. So someone's screaming or a huge explosion, like that sort of variation kind of gets the antenna up, but it's not like he's just like listening to everything all the time. Like he would go crazy. So, I mean, I guess we're another okay. way. Of, so it's, again, really not to, not to split hairs about this. And, and I'm, I'm sure there's a better explanation of it than what I'm giving here. But like, it's not, I saw at least the way that show presented, it's not even so much like turning it on and off. It's just like kind of always listening for those fluctuations, those disturbances in the, in kind of the sound waves. Okay. So in a case like this, I, I don't know, I guess that wasn't unusual. Like whatever was going on outside, like the, you know, the Mr. Carr walking, it wasn't enough to, it's kind of, do. I mean, I don't know. The other thing, I mean, again, that was a pretty specific description. I think that that show gave, I mean, I feel like in other instances it's more, cause I do think about this a lot where, 
this show and other instances, it's like you, you have these super senses. It's like you need to use them more. Like there have been a, f- a few episodes where I've said this where it's like, like the House of, uh, or the Mystery in Wax uh, episode. It's like, if he had just used his x-ray vision when he was in uh, the Wax Museum, it's like he would have found everyone well, down the below. Like, just scan with, it. With the jade, the, uh, right, like, it, it, didn't he see the the ladder? Why did he have to go outside and like look all over this the street? Oh, that was, yeah, we had fun talking about that. That was pretty right? hilarious. That yeah. was, you know, talk about filler, right? That was, yeah, that was another instance of, well, we have to show Superman in, in this costume, episode, right? Yeah. But but he spent so much time, <laughs> right, when he knew right where it was, <laughs> where the, the, the trap door to the ladder. And then also, um, um, no holds barred. He was outside, and at one point before Sam comes over to him, he's like leaning against the wall, listening through the brick wall to, I guess, Ram getting beaten up or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it would make things too easy, but I know I do think about that a lot. It's like you have these tools at your disposal and uh, it's just when, and, and, and again, I know we can't think about this too much in terms of what, what you would actually do, but it's just like, wouldn't you, again, you just, you just have these abilities. So it's like, it would, I feel like at a certain point it would just become part of, it would almost be an automatic, like it would be just be part of your investigation, right? It's like, wherever you are, it's like, give it a quick scan. Well, and even uh, there was one thing I did like uh, that Superman Batman series. Ed McGinnis was the artist, Loeb yeah. was the writer. But in one of the very first uh, issues, the I think the Earth 22 Superman came back to, right? And the older Superman's kind of telling the younger Superman, that's it, Clark. Check me out with your x ray vision. That's what I do, right? So, like, to your point, if you've got these senses, wouldn't you? leverage every every technique every thing you could tap into to help yourself um so it's it surprised me that the security the the uh the studio chief here's the thing is quick enough to write a note to clark as they're going over his own file <laughs> yeah I know that was that was pretty funny, and then Clark excuses himself, and the and the chief is pretty, uh, you know, kind of persistent about trying to go with Clark. Clark's like, I need to go see someone who's, we say, allergic to uniforms, and especially police uniforms, and so he's able to kind of, you know, shake. No, I need some time by off. myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which leads to probably my favorite scene of the episode, where Superman smashes through Danelli's window. What? I'm, I'm I'm getting confused now. Oh yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I got keep going. I I I, I got confused. I'm no, no, you. no. All good. Uh, so yeah, he smashes through the window of of Dinelli's place. You've got the 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 guys who are are shooting at him, and of course he's deflecting the bullets. They throw the gun at him. We don't have an instance of a stuntman ducking this time. He just stands there as the gun bounces off of him. He once again engages in fisticuffs, clocks him, which is great. But my hands down, my favorite part, honestly, the smashing of the window was great because it's like he could have, he could have probably opened it or got, but like he wanted to make a point. And like, I, I love that. Like, I love how he just smashed it in. But then my favorite part of this scene is when Danelli's like, what do you want or what are you doing? He's like, <laughs> you're getting a little nervous, Danelli. <laughs> yeah. Your, your, your shot, your aim's off. But he goes, as he, as he punches him, he goes, I want to show you how movies are made. Pop. <laughs> that was so badass. That was oh man, that is one of my top season one moments. I just thought that was great. The the punch and the line. I want to show you how movies are made. Boom, loved it. It's well done. <sighs> I mean, we saw um, uh-huh. 
a right a right cross, a right hook. Yeah, because he hid behind the door and took out each of the underlings as they came in. You know, right punch with the right hand, punch with the left, and then he went and then he all the bullets bounced off. He took out took out Dinelli. Yeah. That was great. That was a top-notch scene. I really enjoyed that. So he flies the Nelly back, and this is, again, clearly, you know, clearly the dummy. Yeah, look, it, it, it's, it's fine, especially, as we always say, for the time period, the devices on which people were watching these things, the inability to pause and rewind. Uh, we'll go along with it. You know, he puts him in the trailer. Now, I, I, I was wondering about that. And what's your read on this? Because we, we get why Clark makes a big point of telling everyone I'm going to stay in the trailer, right? Because he knows that'll get back to Dinelli and he knows that whoever's working for Dinelli, you know, whether it's actually the brother who Clark now we, Oh, that's the other thing too, that going back to what we were saying at the top and about how, you know, Clark's articles, they were good enough to warrant this movie adaptation, but they didn't put Dinelli behind bars. But I liked when they introduced the brother component, even though it felt like it came out of nowhere, at least it was like, okay, his investigation is ongoing. There's still, something he's trying oh, to work out. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. So that, I like that aspect. But so he makes the that's point about point. staying at the trailer, right? So it's like, it becomes clear, like he wants he's to bait. flesh out. He's the bait. Yeah. But once the word is out that, that Clark is in there, the hitman's going to be coming. It's like, you don't, it's just interesting. Like he, he really puts Dinelli in. At risk. In severe danger here. Uh, did you, were you comfortable with that? I mean, it didn't, it's like, it was fine, but it was just kind of, kind of funny to me. It's like, cause you could have achieved the same result with like, put like a pillow under the, under the blanket or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, when I saw it, especially the second time when he takes Dinelli back and he carries Dinelli, uh, you know, through the studio door, he lands with the, the dummy goes through and then carries him into the trailer. I did like question like, well, why is he doing this? I mean, he, he, he just knocked this guy out cold. He could, he could get him at the end when he apprehends the assassin or the guy trying to kill him and pull him together then. But he made it a point to dump Dinelli in the trailer itself, exposing him to risk um, I didn't dwell on it too much. I mean, I, I, I think back in the time we've discussed this before, they really weren't uh, worried about uh, uh, your civil rights that much, you know, or, you know, like, like how, how many times do we see Henderson, okay, we'll do it the hard way, roll up his sleeves, and the implication is he's smacking the guy around. Yeah. Um, yeah, Clark wasn't too worried about anything happening to Luigi Danelli. No, no. I think it's definitely in line with the, the times and, and this incarnation of Superman and, and sense of morality. It was just and, kind of funny. because quite like, frankly, yeah. Superman kidnapped him. He oh, yeah. assaulted the other guys. He destroyed property that wasn't his own. <laughs> knocked those guys around, knocked them out, knocked out Dinelli, and, and basically kidnapped him. At this point, Superman now heads over to Henderson's hotel. Henderson is just having the time of his life. With steak that dinner, buddy. At the Mark Stevens. Steak. Yeah. Yeah. That room I, service steak. He's all about it. Yeah. Oh, I loved that. I, I mean, like, Henderson must really like putting on the feedback, right? I mean, the last time we saw him, 
Yeah. A couple hours after a murder. Hey, feel like grabbing a beer? He says, not my jurisdiction. Right. And here he goes, come on in. Hey, waiter, I think I'll have another steak. Right. And Superman kind of jokes and, you go, oh, okay. And well, actually, I was just finishing Kent's steak. <laughs> so he's going to have like three. Yeah. That, but you know what, though? In Henderson's defense, he, I mean, he is a police inspector. So, and, and it's not his jurisdiction. So, I mean, I think we're looking at it from the perspective of like, there was just a murder here. There was a dead body. It's like for him, that's just eh, another day. Not so, my, it's like a waitress, not my table. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that he's ready to get some beers and some, I mean, how many steaks? <laughs> but the fact that he's, he's ready to indulge. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that, that tracks. I thought it would have been so funny though, because Henderson has his back to the door when Superman walks in and Superman starts talking before Henderson sees him. And I thought it would have been great if he was like, oh, hey, Clark. Oh, 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 Superman. <laughs> right? Because it's not like we get any real variation in voice here. No, no, I didn't think about that. And, you know, it is kind of a dumb move to have your back to the door where anybody could walk in. And and hours earlier, there was a murder. <laughs> And, and you're one of the guys. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you're the one of the targets here, pal. But I love, this is probably, this is one of my other favorite moments of this episode because uh, Henderson makes some crack about Clark. Because Clark's not, you know, Clark's not there, obviously. He, he makes some some remark about Clark and, and Superman says, well, I'm sure Ken's not just twiddling his thumbs wherever he you're, is. I do remember that. And I, you know, I, I know we're we're sort of, we're analyzing, and and I know, or I assume there wasn't necessarily all that much intended, you know, in the, when they were putting these episodes together, as far as how how detailed we are in unpacking them and analyzing what was going on through the characters' minds and all of that. But I just I love because it, it it's in Superman's interest, right? Clark slash Superman's interest for people to think that it would be unlikely for Clark to be Superman, right? For when when Henderson, and, and I forget exactly what he says, but it's, you know, kind of like a dismissive crack about Clark and how he's not there. It's like, in terms of preserving the dual identity, right? Like, it's in Superman's interest to be like, oh, yeah. But, like, he won't do that. Like, he defends Good Clark, which I, I really love. Uh, and I don't know, however you want to read it, like, as far as what, what that means, but I just, I thought that was, like, a really great touch that he defends his other identity. I didn't catch any of this. I, it was probably, I've seen it so many times, I leapt over it. But now that you say all that, from a logical standpoint, you're spot on. It would, if Clark wants to separate the two and do everything he can so everyone thinks they're two independent people, he would go along with Henderson. That's a great point. But here, he stands up for his, his alter ego, Right, I, I'm sure he's not twiddling his thumbs. Well, and, good point. That's a good point. Well, also, because it's not like Henderson was like, "Oh, Clark's a piece of garbage." Like he didn't say anything that was that terrible. I think it was something to the effect of like Clark isn't here, like taking advantage of the room service, or like, like something like that. And Superman's point was like, "Well, like he's doing something important." Uh, but I think this kind of it's such. I, I just I love this moment, but I think it kind of harkens back to the 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 thesis that you've expressed on the show and and off mic as well. Whenever we've talked about this how you know you feel the way this show presents the characters clark is who he is and then superman is the extension of that and i feel like this kind of lines up right because this clark isn't just a mask that superman wears so that he can live his life like it's who he is and then he puts on the superman costume and he does what he needs to do and so maybe it means more to him right like 
whereas you look at the Christopher Reeve incarnation and by design, that was a Clark meant to be put down and dismissed, right? And that's the function that that character had well to serve. Said. But it's not, that's not the case here. Well said. No, well said. Uh, so it was great. And then they head off together. You know what I was wondering? We don't see how they get to the to the studio. How do you think they got, like, is it- That's, you know, I will, I, driving over here, I thought about that. Like, wait a minute. He was so careful flying Dinelli like he was, you know, you know, like a mannequin or, you know, here, you know, did, did they you know, like wrap their shoulders together and did Superman fly him? Did he fly him like a baby? It was intriguing. You know, I cert- all I know is they didn't take a cab because you heard, you heard the, whoosh, yeah. you know, um, but I had to imprint on that that, hey, Clark had to lift him up and carry him like a baby or and this guy just had three steaks so he's got <laughs> a little extra weight there. yeah now to your other point when uh when i forget what henderson said um but then clark retorts well you know i don't think he's just sitting around what do you say doing cro- twiddling his thumbs twiddling his thumbs you know yeah he should have said, not like you, scarfing down all the free food, you know, know. putting on the feed bag. <laughs> I know. It would have been great if we saw Superman start to pick up Henderson and be like, oh, Inspector, next time stop at one stake. <laughs> so I guess while they're while they're on their way, we see this, uh, this mystery figure who's got the trench coat and the hat pulled down, uh, tying... Um, oh, the... the uh, the, the hose. The, yeah, 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 yeah. From, from the car into the trailer and starting the car uh, to fill it with carbon monoxide. And Superman and Henderson show up very shortly thereafter, and Superman quickly surmises what's going on and turns off the car, and then go for it. No, this is exactly when, you know, Dinelli must have meant that for me. What do you mean? <laughs> I mean, for Clark. <laughs> yeah, I love, I mean, it's great. It's so great. He I- must have meant that for me, you know, carbon monoxide. Like he's, you know what it is? It's, well, I guess what I like, again, this is all kind of uh, spontaneous as I'm, as I'm thinking about this. Cause it's like, it's been 22 episodes now and I'm always talking about how much I like this version of Clark. And I, and I guess it's because I, this feels like such a human Clark and Superman in this show. And when he shows that anger, not that I like an overly angry Superman, but I feel like there are times when righteous anger is justified and I feel like moments like this, it, it shows, again, the person he is and, and just the humanity. He's not the perfect God all the time. Right. And he's pissed. And I feel like that's why he slips in this moment, right? Yeah. Like he's like annoyed. And I think that also accounts for why he threw Dinelli in that trailer. Like he's pissed at this guy. Right. And listen, uh, we all, other times we spoke about his impatience with Miss Backrack, right? Yes. You know? <laughs> Uh, so he's not the soul of patience, you know. He might he might bring kittens out of trees for little girls, but but here um, there was like uh, anger in his voice, like he meant that for me, you know. And, and you, then, I mean, for Ken. <laughs> and then, but this is my other favorite part about this scene where he tells Henderson, "It's okay, you can close the door." Because <laughs> Henderson's like, "We should probably keep that door open." He's like, "No, nah, it's fine. You can close it." <laughs> He's really not all that concerned with, uh, with yeah. Luigi. Yeah. What did this guy do? <laughs> I mean, all, all we saw was that montage when his guys like put a bomb in some uh, studio door, uh, door. They burnt the film, right? They trashed certain things. 
I don't know. I mean, I look, he's a mob boss, so presumably, you know, he's up to all the usual activities and you know, we're we're led to believe he's this he's this threat, uh, you know, from from the outset. And I will say, and I'm sorry I didn't say this earlier, I got this episode confused with the one two episodes in the future. I always got uh what is it? Crime uh, Wave. Yeah. Czar of the Underworld and Crime Wave confused. I I got them confused. But uh, yeah, we didn't see Dinelli two episodes or now. His name's nowhere on that board. Yeah. Look, Clark's cleaning up Los Angeles and look how bad, <laughs> look how bad Metropolis is. They had like 20 gangs there, right? You can bring that up uh, a month from now when you do. I know. Like we always say, you can't look at this as a serialized story, but for argument's sake, if, if we are hypothetically, if we, if we did, that is kind of actually fascinating. Maybe it's like all of these gangs, these, you know, in Metropolis were able to rise while Superman's off. Yeah. Off in Hollywood. Yeah. I like yeah. that. So they see this mystery figure up, you know, up in the rafters and, and Superman goes up and chases him and, and, the, and the guy falls and is, you know, is, is pretty badly injured and, and Henderson goes over to him, right? And he's revealed to be, um, to be Frank Dinelli. I thought Superman went to him. Is it Super? I thought it was Henderson. Well, one of them, one of them goes to him. Yeah. Uh, but um, before he can say anything, yeah. Well, I was going to say before that, what's interesting is they don't realize he's up there until his his shoe hits a nail. Oh yeah, and it falls down. Um, Again, you would think you would use your X-ray vision and just scan the, or not even your X-ray vision, just your use your normal eyes. vision. Yeah, because he saw him pretty quickly. Just right? look, look around. Yeah, yeah. And then Superman flew up there, gets on the uh, the plank, so to speak. The guy empties his gun, tries to run away, falls, and kills himself. Well, I mean, he's. Yeah, he's well. injured, and then Luigi finishes the job, and then uh, Superman and, and Henderson apprehend him, and they're like, we got you now. And like, I love Luigi's argument. We hey, dying I was putting anyway. out his pain. <laughs> dying anyway. <laughs> yeah, this circles back to what you said when, you know, Frank, Frank Dinelli was in the, in the trailer, and he's given the folder, and, and Clark goes, it's the brother. We need to learn what happened and what's going on with the brother. And then what I read, or what I observed is, Luigi's killing him so he doesn't reveal something. What sort of stuff does Frank have on his brother that, you know? Yeah, that is a good question. That is a good question. And then, but, you know, and then you wonder too, it's like, not not that Superman wanted wanted anyone to die, but I mean, maybe, going back to what we were saying before, it's like, once Donnelly knew or thought that Clark was in the trailer Really, no one needed to be there. You you just had to be there to apprehend whoever came to do it. But I don't know. Maybe maybe Superman just saw the bigger picture and saw this playing out and figured he could pit Dinelli against the hitman slash the brother slash whoever showed up. Right. And, and I don't know, get something out of him, get him to slip up, get him to say something, do something. Yeah, if they had the two confront one another. Yeah. Right? See- this well, this just circles back to the 1930s B movie serials, where just it's action, smash it together. Uh, because you could have resolved it. I mean, we're looking at it through the lens of 2023, where you'd let the show breathe more. Um, but he could have just had an empty trailer there, and and kind of he could have stayed up in the rafters himself and said, "Who's going to come to hurt Clark?" Well. And also, I mean, yeah, not not to nitpick this, but it's just going back to the the risk 
that he or the danger that he places Danelli in. It's like he has no idea exactly what time this hitman is coming. And or if even there's no guarantee. Well, that's true, too. Because, you know, he's spending his time chatting up Henderson in the hotel room, talking about steaks, all this stuff. I mean, presumably, you know, they're not wasting that much time. But also, he has no idea. All he knows is Danelli wants him dead. See, here's the thing. If 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 Danelli was like, I want to, you know, like if Clark had information that Danelli wanted. Or there's a hearing tomorrow morning and we got to get him to, you know. But but it's like he has no idea what means Danelli is going to use like someone could have just come and thrown a bomb or something like you know he actually got lucky that it was carbon monoxide and it actually would have taken a little while you know so he was a little a little risky there yeah <laughs> oh well it all worked out not for Frank though but the we, we end on on the moment that you had uh, alluded to earlier where Henderson's like oh I wish I wish Kent were here and he's like he is here in a way yeah <laughs> it, your tone was you had the right uh, the right 1950s macho tone yeah he was again he was still fired up when he said that it wasn't like it wasn't the typical button where it's like oh he is in a way with a wink it's not like he's pissed yeah yeah um i like this i've been i've been a little critical of the the buttons at the end of these episodes i feel like a lot of them are are, they don't land right this one was still abrupt i agree with you like we needed another beat or two after this but uh this was better than some of the other ones well better than your favorite one yeah yeah uh no holds barred you know (laughs) Yeah, the only the only true magic, the magic of knowledge. Well, wait a minute, that's totally contradictory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't button it. This was, it's like they had another thirty seconds to go. I I don't know. Maybe they needed to fill time, and then they overshot the mark with the Perry scene, and then they were like, "Oh, we gotta cut, we gotta cut." I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that could have just been smooth. That I think you take away some or all of the parry scene, you add a little bit at the end, and I think you're good to go. Yeah, but if if I may, then possibly the best ending might have been cutting to another scene the next morning. You know, where Clark is finishing typing, and he goes, "I got to get this. I got to get this to the teletype to get it to Perry. Yes. Right? Uh, this will wrap the whole thing up." Um, yeah, it was just so abrupt, but like you said, there was so much edge in his voice, you know, uh, is there anything on your list of notes that we didn't get to that you wanted to talk about? So we covered, we covered what happened uh, to Clark's super hearing. Um, No, we covered everything. The only thing that uh, that I found beyond the realm of plausibility was the fact, and again, I don't know if Dinelli, like you said, was transplanted out to the coast. <laughs> this is really tripping you up, the fact that he's, he's L.A.-based. I, I hear you. But how did his brother get the job <laughs> as a security chief, you know, for the same studio that's doing the movie. I mean, that, that was such... You're right. In that sense, it actually would make more sense if if he were just like a police chief generally, right? Because it would make sense. You would want him installed in that kind of position to help, generally. Yeah, to protect or shut down investigations or run interference for his brother, but to be a studio uh, security chief. And in the very studio, I mean, <laughs> that's making this expose movie... 
I would have liked it had he been more of a police chief in the Los Angeles Police Department, but even that might have been a stretch. I mean, IMDb could be wrong. Again, I'd be curious, audience members, if, if you have any insight as to exactly what position the brother occupied. I, I would love to know. Again, when Rich and I both watched this a couple of years ago, we assumed he was a police chief, and it it definitely required a suspension of disbelief that even with the passage of time and a facelift, that this ex-convict could be could rise to that position. That was a huge stretch. Yeah, they're, they're hiring practices. They didn't do much detailed... Uh... But... As to your point, it's like it is almost more incredulous that, <laughs> that he he be you know was able to get this job in this amount of time in time for this movie. So, yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious where other people land on this. Yeah, for me, it's more incredulous because I don't think he came right in as the the security chief or chief of security. For you got to work your way up. Yeah, right. Plus the fact you had all these years. How did you explain the years in Sing Sing or, um, you know, The Rock or wherever you were out there, and the plastic surgery, right? So maybe maybe background checks were much more bland and lenient. Look with with technology generally. Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly can believe that you could get away with far more, and that someone could kind of reinvent themselves in that way to an extent. I don't know. Uh, still a very fun episode. Before we give our rating, uh, again, we talked about Henderson. He loves his room service. We talked about you traveled a lot. Do you like do you like room service or do you prefer to get out and about when you're I prefer to get out. I prefer to get out. Uh, there are times I will do room service, more for time and convenience. Um, but I like to get out to at least see part of the city I'm in. Um, but it depends on like, okay, am I in... Yeah. Am I landing? Am I getting in the hotel room at nine fifteen? And let me order something now. Room service closes at ten. It it varies. Um, uh, <laughs> Bill Henderson's primary mission was putting that feed bag on. <laughs> yes, for sure. No, I agree. I think it's uh, and I, I there's something that I have always found appealing about room service. I mean, obviously the price is absurd, and they hit you with all those service charges. And especially since I've been traveling with my wife for the past decade and you know she's always about you know exploring the wherever we are and and so uh i'm definitely on board with that i think that's the way to go but i have i like especially when i've traveled for work and i don't do that anymore but in that instance where i'm really not there for like sightseeing but i'm really there for like a very specific purpose i found it handy for that for breakfast in particular i do i do especially when you have your place you have the option you can like put it on the door the night before Uh. and then that i like that I, I'm like in Bill Henderson happy mode with that. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I like the breakfast. It comes to the door. You get your pot of coffee. I do like that. Interesting. See, I, I've never done breakfast, um, room service breakfast. Never. Uh, usually, I would be checking out. You know, I'd go down. I'd check out. I'd throw my bags in the car and come back and get breakfast. Or I'd get breakfast and then go get my bags and check out. Um, but I, I like if I can, I, I don't want to eat in the hotel room, if I can. I hear you. Um, All right. Czar of the Underworld. Out of five fedoras, Rich Roney, our most frequent guest for season one. <laughs> How many fedoras would you give this one? Four. Four? I'm going four and a half. I feel like normally... I feel like normally I'm either on the same page. We have the same rating. I thought, I thought last time you told me I couldn't do half. No, you could do halves. Oh, because no, I, I remember last time I made the joke, uh, three and a silk robe. Oh, yeah. 
Okay, so that we won't get into that business. Okay. But yeah, you could do halves. But don't you know? You don't have to you go with your gut. No, I'm going to go with four, and that's a, a lot of my basis of that is there. I'm looking at this like a bell curve, um, and I want to make the ones that are truly fives, like Panic in the Sky or The Face and the Voice or some other things. This was good. Quite frankly, I think this was every bit as good as No Holds Barred. Every bit as good. No, I'm I'm content with a four. I uh, I mean my my detractions are uh, some of the implausibility of like you know well one Perry the the rant from Perry was filler in my yeah. mind, so that was like you know you guys I know you're pumping it out but stay up late and rewrite it a little bit. Um, so t- Perry's Perry's rant um, annoyed me. Some of the goofs with the uh, you know. Uh, the lamp falling and then the gun. And then all the stuff, like, quite frankly, why did he have to take Dinelli to, to the trailer? I mean, he could have caught Frank, forced Frank to confess, and then go and beaten the snot out of him in his apartment. <laughs> it's funny because, uh, you know, I love how, how specific we get when we talk about these episodes. And it's it's fun but I know, I guess sometimes it can have the, it can backfire and have the unintended consequence of like, especially with an episode that you enjoyed. And then the more we talk about it, it's, you, you find these holes in it and there are certain things that don't line up. But listen, four is still a great score. Uh, I, I don't know, I'm going to stay with four and a half. I really just had like, I had so much fun with this one. It really, for me, that Perry scene was the only thing that I, I really, really took away from it. Otherwise... You know, things like the lamp or, or, or whatever, I, you know, I, that kind of stuff doesn't really, doesn't really bug me. And there were enough of those, those Clark and Superman moments. And again, some really interesting character moments, whether intended or not. But as we watch it, like when he defends, when Superman defends Clark, little things like that, I get a lot of mileage out of. So yeah, I'm going to go with four and a half. I thought this was really one of the stronger season one episodes. I thank you very much, Rich, for coming back, for doing these, this third episode uh, it, I'll talk more about this when it gets closer. We're going to have, I think, a very, very significant break between seasons one and two. But once we get into season two, uh, I look forward to having you back. And I think we'll break your record of three appearances next season. I think we can maybe do a little a little more than that if you're game. I'm game. I'm game. All right. Uh, I'm game. Thank you for having me. Listen, my pleasure. This really was a lot of fun. Uh, again, I like I. that's the thing. And I know I've said the versions of this, but it's like when there's an episode I don't like, the conversation is is still always enjoyable and that sort of redeems the overall experience. And when there is, is an episode that I really did like, it's, it's even more fun. So either way, it's always great to talk about these. So thank you very much. Thank you, audience. I really do always appreciate you tuning in, whether you listen or watch. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with Ghost Wolf. We're really nearing the end here. I hope you'll tune in. Adventures await. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, Another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.